Uh, what a way to start our worship and praise of God this morning than with a song that speaks the gospel. I believe the lyrics of the last song we sang proclaim the gospel of Christ. For Christ is my life. Oh. Um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. We have spent the last 10 years, I mean months or weeks, in Ephesians. And we have <laughs> made it to chapter 5, but I will say, however long it's been, it's been a blessing to hear God's Word preached, to study His Word and have your hearts opened by the Holy Spirit so that you receive His Word is truly a blessing to His people. And so chapter 5, um, Pastor Ben, the last time we met, it's been a couple of weeks ago, um, he included the first two verses of chapter 5, but I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and I'll read down to verse 6. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not, be even, must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. Let there be no filthiness nor foolish talk nor crude joking which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. For you may be sure of this, that everyone who is sexually immoral or impure or who is covetous, that is, an idolater, has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. What words from the hand of Paul through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to meet. Father, that we may worship you as a congregation, corporally, Lord. As we gather together, your saints, Father. As the Apostle Paul was speaking to the Ephesians, Father, I pray that his same message speaks to us, your saints, the same as the saints were in Paul's day, Father. As he admonishes us to withstand, to, to have a, to withhold from sin, to, to fight sin, Father, uh, to not have it even named among us, that, Father, that we will be holy, that we would glorify thy name in the way we live, the way we say things, the way we think, our thought processes. Father, in all things, may we glorify thy Son in his name. Amen. Um, as I was ready to preach last Sunday. Um, same scripture, so no problem there. Um, it's kind of funny as I reread what I had written that I kept changing things and it almost turned out to be not totally different but from a different angle, I would say. But as we read the first two verses um, that Pastor Ben spoke of, last week, therefore be imitators of God. These are, I would say, as, 
as, well, as I was thinking, these are the standards that he holds his people, you and I, the saints, those in Christ. These are, these are the things that he holds us to, to be imitators of God. As beloved children, what it is to be a child of Christ, to be an heir, an adopted son into the kingdom of Christ. As Pastor Ben spoke a couple of weeks ago, what a wonderful thought to be in the family of God, to be considered a son, the same as, as Jesus Christ, to be co-heirs of the kingdom of God. Now, I'm not there saying that I'm on equal standing as Jesus Christ. However, his death upon the cross, by the grace of God, his death upon the cross, the blood he shed, has wiped away my sin. And that's the reason we are accepted before God. As he sees you and he sees me, he sees the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see the filthy sinner that I am, that I was when I walked in my wicked ways before he quickened me to life through the Holy Spirit. So we are not to imitate fallible man. A lot of us, including myself sometimes, we see people that we admire. It doesn't have to be a, an athlete of such as a lot of younger people do. But sometimes we see things and we have such a high admiration of it that we want to emulate it, that we want to be like it. But the truth is that mankind is fallible. In other words, he's sinful. And we have to be careful as to whom, to whom we watch, to whom we emulate. We do not compare ourselves or measure ourselves up to the standard of man. Whom we measure ourselves against is Christ. And, and as I think about the current news of the day, the politics of the day, and we get so worked up and worried about the direction of our country, remember this. Yes, we are citizens of the United States of America, and we are concerned about our country, and well be we should. However, foremost and above any of that, we are members of the family of God. Our citizenship, first and foremost, is in the kingdom of God. And God is sovereign, as the, song, as the lyrics of the song said, He is sovereign and over all things. There's nothing, there's nothing that's going to happen to you and I. There's nothing that's going to come about in this present age that He has not already ordained, that He is not in control of. He is sovereign. He is God. He created you and I. He created all things. And he is reigning from his throne right now. Even though we may not think so, we look around us. And that's the problem. We compare ourselves and we compare things to the things of the world. But we have something much greater to look forward to. And I think that's the difference when a Christian faces death. We don't see it as death. We see it as a life in Christ. It's we're going home to be with him. And so as, as we read those, as we read those first two verses, being imitators of God, beloved children, he says these are the standards we are to live by, to walk in love, 
as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Paul is contrasting putting off one type of behavior and putting on another. And as we read through, as I read through the scripture there, the rest of those verses, it becomes even more profound. So these are our standards that we are to live by. Number one, we are to imitate the one who created us in his image. You and I were born in the image of of God. Number two, we are to be transformed, to be like the one who chose us before the beginning of time. What a mind-boggling thought, fact, that God chose us before we were ever born, before the beginning of the world. There's no happenstance. There's no luck. There's no any of that in Christ. It's ordained. It's done. Nothing is done by luck that he chose us before the beginning of time. Um, we are beloved because of the righteousness we, ref- we receive from the work of Christ upon the cross. Um, very quickly, I'll read just a few verses from 1 Peter um, 13 through 16. It says, Therefore, preparing your minds for action and being sober-minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, that's what he's calling the, that's what he's calling the Ephesians to be, is obedient children in thankfulness. Do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as he who called you is holy, you also be holy. In all your conduct, since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. That's what we are to be, holy. What does the word holy mean? It means to be set apart. It means to be different. It's a different standard. We belong to a different king. We belong in a different kingdom. We're in Christ. We're not of the world. We reside here temporarily. This is, this is very temporal. So we don't put our hope and we don't put our, um, all our, our eggs in this basket, if you will, of the world. We don't become downtrodden because of the events of the world and the things that happen to us in this world. But we have to look at it as a way of God refining His people, burning off the dross, You know, if, if we are to imitate Christ, and if Christ is love, I think it's 1 John 4, it says God is love. Then what are we to be? We are to be love. And if we are loving, you think about um, the, the Ten Commandments as it goes through really what Paul is saying here. All these things are basically the opposite of what the commandments command us to do. Well, they're not opposite. They're actually telling us those things. It says, But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetous must not even be named among you as is proper among saints. The Ten Commandments, you shall have only one God. Right? It says, Do not covet thy neighbor. Well, if you're not coveting thy neighbor, you're not doing those things against your neighbor, that means that you're, you don't covet other things. What your attention is tied to, what you worship the most, what you are mostly zeroed in on is God. 
Um, therefore, because we are beloved of God, there are things we must eliminate from our minds and hearts. So Paul is saying basically these things. He's given us a prescription, if you will, of a higher standard of living. Number one, what we are. Number two, how we think. And number three, the way we act. You see, what we are determines what we think. And how we think determines how we act. So if you're a child of God, these things that Paul is speaking of, sexual immorality, which were common in the day of Paul and there in Ephesus, which are common in the day of 2016. We're not only to put those things off, but it's not even to be named among the saints. Not even to be named among us. Because we are, as Peter said, we are called to be holy. Um, as I was thinking of just common day things, and um, in the political arena, I read this quote from John Galbraith, I believe is how you pronounce his name, but he said, Under communism, man exploits man. Under capitalism, the situation is exactly the reverse. <laughs> In Christianity, man becomes a new man, alive to Christ. He is regenerated. We serve. We love. We do what Christ did. We follow his example. When he walked on earth in the flesh, God in the flesh for those, those years, 33 years, especially, well, the whole 33 years, his life was about serving, being obedient to the Father. You see, that's who he was. He was the Son of God. He is the Son of God. There was not any sin. He was sinless. He, didn't, he was tempted, as Pastor Ben said a couple of weeks ago, the same as you and I. And yet he was sinless. His thoughts were upon doing the will of his Father. And the way we act, well, Christ was obedient, obedient unto death. Death upon a cross. You know, we call ourselves Christians today, and we look at that, and that's a positive thing. And it's starting to turn around again as we become persecuted. But in Paul's day, in the day of the disciples, that was a derogatory term. If you were called a Christian, you are a Christ follower. And that wasn't meant to be a good thing. That was derogatory. That was something, some way of, of, of speaking down to you, of um, persecuting you. Paul says that it's these six things. He mentioned sexual impurity, just impurity, greed, obscenity, foolish talk, coarse joking, or present. They are evidence that the person involved is not even a believer, not even a believer, but an idolater. Now, that's pretty strong talk. For if you're an idolater, what do you idolize? He's speaking, you're not idolizing, you do not follow, you are not a true believer of Christ, of God but you're idolizing things of the flesh, the world. And so he's being very strong. He's using some strong language here. He's telling them to refrain from them. And I'm going to go through these 
four to six things, however you want to break them apart one by one and, and, and try to, to, to break them down for us so that we can see what he was specifically speaking of. He starts with sexual immorality. Uh, the Greek word uh, pornea, I may mispronounce that, pornea. It means adultery. It means sexual intercourse outside of marriage. It, it, it means incest. It means all those sexual sins that are, that are not to be named among us. It says marriage Refrain from sexual immorality. Well, how do we do that? Well, we look at the picture of marriage. Marriage is a portrait painted upon the canvas of creation to display the glory of the Creator. Anything which perverts the portrait of marriage distorts the picture of worship which was created in His image. Go back to Genesis 2. In the purpose God had for man and woman. Right? He said they became one flesh. And they procreated. They were to have offspring among the two. They were made as one. It's almost a picture of the Trinity, if you will. You have the three persons, the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. We, we read a lot of time, as if, we, if you look at Revelation 19, he says Jesus is the bridegroom and the church is the bride. There's that picture. Jesus is the groom, and we are the bride. And, and, the, and the bride is to be pure. Now, are we pure of and of ourselves? No. How are we pure? How do we become pure? Through Jesus Christ. Remember the double imputation? After the, the, you know, during the, the crucifixion of Christ, his righteousness was imputed to us. Our sinfulness and unrighteousness was imputed to him. The reason for the, I believe, the three hours of darkness when he was upon the cross, as he took our sins upon his shoulders, every sin that you have committed and every sin that you ever will commit. God's wrath, you know, as I, as I thought of Romans um, 1, I'll turn there very quickly. Romans 1, 24 through 27. It says, Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. In other words, before you are regenerated, before you are quickened to a new life, this is who you are. You were given up. God gave them up because they had a hardened heart. God gave them up. He didn't do anything to them. We say, well, why does God... No, that's who we are when we are born. Remember Ephesians chapter 1 and 2? That's the way you were born. You were born dead. You were born dead in your sins. You're born a sinner. Those are the natural ways of man when he is born. These are the things and the ways of his doing. That's the way he acts. Those are the ways he thinks. He acts. That's who he is. But when you're regenerated, when you become a new person, you're to put away those things. You're not to do those things. We don't want to be given up. 
We don't want God to give us over to them, and he does it because he says he'll never forsake us. That's, the, that's the, 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 the comforting thing about God's word. It says he will never forsake us. So even when I, I do fall and I stumble, and, I, and, and, and the Holy Spirit convicts me of my sin, and Lord knows I have fallen and stumbled many times, I'm by far, this message of Paul could be spoken directly to me if I had been there among the Ephesians. We're to put away those things. And if you're in Christ, you no longer do them. They don't hold your attention. You're to be holy. He says he gave them up in their lust. You, you know, I think of Job, and I don't even have this in my notes, but I was thinking of Job back before all the calamity happened to his family after God allowed Satan to do what he asked to do because he knew Job, and he knew Job was his child. He knew Job was a righteous person. And, and you know, all those things, that, all those calamities that happened in Job, it wasn't like God had to summon these people to go to Job and do these things. You know, God's hand, God's hand of grace, was, Job was kept by the grace, the arm of God. All he had to do was lift his hand, and those people did what they normally would do. That was a natural. They didn't go out of their way. That's what they were wanting to do the whole time. And that's what the world wants to do to you and I. You know, God's grace, we, we wonder why, does, why do Christians in other parts of the world are persecuted worse than we are. I just thank the Lord for his grace. And I thank the Lord for the strength that he has given those in other parts of the world to be as strong as they are. We think about the hurricane that just came through. And myself, being one of the biggest, you know, complained about a lot of the damage done. Um, we have uh, pecan orchards. We lost 35 trees, and it's easy to bemoan, well, man, what a loss. Well, by God's grace, he didn't take them all. By God's grace, he saved you and I because there's nothing about you, there's nothing about me that deserves salvation, the mercy of God. People say, we want what's fair. Be careful. You don't want what's fair. Because if you receive what's fair, then you would receive hell. You would receive damnation. We want mercy and we want grace. And as we head back, it says, you know, it says God's wrath, that Romans 1 passage to me speaks of God's wrath on unrighteousness. Um, in, in 1 Corinthians 6, 9, Paul says, Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. And, and that's the reason I was joking with Pastor Ben as I walked in, I said, you know, Pastor Bill's not here. And I said, what a shame. He's the Berean of all Bereans because... <laughs> and that's a positive thing because truly, and Pastor Ben, and I know you will too because we're all held to this and we're, we're, we're to be this way. When someone speaks the Word of God, we're to test the Scripture to make sure they're speaking truth. So I, I challenge you, and, and what you should be doing as you're listening is, is it truth? Is this God's word? Don't take it from me because I'm saying it. 
You take it for truth because he said it. Our Lord himself was, was very clear on the matter of premarital intercourse, whatever you want to call it. It comes from an evil heart, and it's a blatant contradiction of God's will that sexuality be preserved for the lifelong union of one man and one woman in marriage. In today's world, we have totally just obliterated God's command. In fact, it's, it's so bad that we've become desensitized to it. A lot of people walk around, it's just the way it is. Nobody thinks anything of it. But as saints in Christ, it's not even to be named among us. Now I want to say this, it would be wrong to suggest that sexual sins are the greatest of all sins. Right? We all have propensities for sin. However, the sins against the Holy Spirit, the refusal to repent, is the greatest of all sins. It means continually resisting the power of the Holy Spirit. And what it gives you is, what you, it results is an eternity in sin, an eternity in damnation. It's resisting the Holy Spirit. The, the mere fact that when you stumble that you're convicted of it, and that ultimately and foremost, as King David said, against you and you only have I sinned, the first thing you think of, the very first thing is, I've sinned against a, a holy and righteous God, and I seek forgiveness from him. doesn't mean there's not a consequence. There always is. But he forgives you. And it doesn't mean that King David did not sin against Bathsheba because rightly he did. Not only her, but her husband. Not only her husband, but his nation that he was the king of. And he did, he was punished. Remember his firstborn was, was died because of it. So blasphemy against the Holy Spirit is the sin of all sins. Christian marriage is the answer. I, I read Proverbs 19.14. It says, houses and wealth are inherited from parents. Sometimes. <laughs> houses and wealth are inherited from parents, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. There's a reason. There's a providence. It's ordained. It will settle for the beginning of time that Diane was to be my wife. What, what a humbling notion that is, that it wasn't of me. I didn't deserve her. I still don't. But by God's mercy and grace, he has joined the two of us to be as one, imitating the Trinity. As they are three persons, separate, but yet they're one. It's something that we can't fathom. And then secondly, he says impurity. And this, is, this includes all the sins previously mentioned, but it goes even further to embrace particular sins. Um, you, you know, you think about the Greeks during that time there in Ephesus. You know, they had this, um, remember Paul even talks about it in the book of Acts as he's going through and he's in Ephesus and they, he, they, they, they get mad with him because these people as they're being 
changed, as they're being quickened to life, and as they start getting rid of these idols that they had, as they worship Artemis, the, 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 the goddess there of, you know, she, she was a goddess of, of fertility and things, and these people, they made idols and they sold them. That was their economy. And as they were, these things were disappearing, well, you know what happens when people start losing their businesses, don't you? People start getting mad because the dollar bill seems to rule the world. The dollar bill seems to trump everything else. And so they start getting mad with Paul. And, and the money used from these things were to support, were to, to help keep up this, this, this temple of idolatry, this temple of this pagan idolatry. And, and it, was, it was openly approved that, you know, it was, it was a place of prostitution. It was a place of homosexuality that, that God strictly and directly forbids among his saints. Now, the people that, that are doing these things, it's not that Christ, it's not that God's putting them on. It's just that's what they're naturally born to do. They're not quickened to life. What a... Man, thought people were trying to break in the door to get in here to hear the Word of God. They might be trying to break out a little later. Paul says that what was perfectly acceptable in the surrounding city was not even to be hinted at among Christians. You know, the sins that we see in Statesboro, the sins and the wicked ways that we see in our surrounding area and in, in the United States are not even to be named among you and I. You know, and I always tell kids, because I, I, I teach school, and Diane does too, and so I have the opportunity, hopefully, to be a positive influence upon them as best I can for Christ. Yeah, for Christ. That, that they know that, you know, and I tell them all the time that, Yes, I'm there and I teach and I teach math and that's what I'm people, but if they don't get anything else and I talk about their character and I talk about these things that they shouldn't do, but, but it's, they're not even to be named among you to, 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 to live a holy life. Um, I even spoke of a parable um, of Jesus the other day in class, but I didn't mention the Bible, the chapter. The, I just changed the scenario a little bit. And man, the kids... Mr. Anderson, that's from the Bible. And I said, I didn't say that. You said that. <laughs> but we're, we're to refrain from it. Um, it says, even with all they have, they covet the wealth of others. In other words, these impurities, they're, they're, it's, it's a form of, of coveting. And the opposite of coveting is contentment. Are you content with the things that Christ has blessed you with? Are you content with the wife given to you by God? With, are you content with, with what he's blessed you with financially, material things? Are you content to come and worship with a group who studies and loves and, and follows the word of God and so a scripture, scripture? By scripture only. We don't, do, we don't go by traditions. We don't go by what man says. It's what scripture says. No, we don't need a thousand people. I'm not saying it's wrong to have a church with a thousand people. There's nothing wrong with that. But some people, and I talked with a, a, a co-worker at work 
just this week about how, how better it is to be somewhere where you've got all these people and this big band and all these things, and I was almost being derided for it. And I said, look, what are you getting when you leave there? What are you getting while you're there? What are you looking for? What are you seeking? Are you seeking Christ? If you are, great. But if you're going there because of some form of music, if you go in there because all your friends are there, then you're seeking the things of the world. God is not foremost in your mind and in your heart. Why are you here today? Is it, I hope it doesn't become, you know, and that's the fear, that it becomes just a routine. It's something that you do on Sunday morning. No, we come here as a corporate body to give God all the glory and praise for all the grace and forgiveness that He has given us by the, His mercy through Christ. That it's not of us at all, it's through Him. You know, as he talks about all impurity, it means a strong, inordinate craving. As I looked this up and I wrote down a definition, it says, a strong, inordinate craving, an inability to be content and satisfied. A sinful heart, this wasn't in the definition, a sinful heart is never satisfied. It wants more and more what starts out. Uh, there was one Christian uh, singing group I know, it's called Slow Fade, the name of the song, and I don't remember the name of the group, but it, it's true. What starts out is just a small thing, and you, 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 it just keeps eating at you, and it, and it develops, and it widens, and it becomes, you know, it just spreads. You know, misery, you've heard the saying, misery loves company. Sinners, those that, that wallow in sin, that love their sin, they love for others to join them because they try to um, justify what they're doing. You know, look around us. So-and-so is doing this. Um, it's pretty common. I mean, this church over there preaches this. Are you a Berean? Do you act like a Berean, rather? Again, going back to the standard, who do you compare yourself with? Your friends, the community, or do you compare yourself to Christ? It doesn't mean that we don't love our friends and that we don't love our community that are not in Christ. We, we give the gospel, we evangelize, but we realize, though, that the only thing that we can do, we cannot save them. All we can do is give the gospel to them. The Holy Spirit is the one that quickens them, that gives them new life. We don't. And that was... Uh, I'll be honest with you, that was a stumbling block for me for, for a long time. It truly was. Because I was on this works uh, mentality that, you know, good people do good things. Well, what are you calling good? What are you comparing good to? Yeah, there are some people out there that are doing some good things for humanity, but what's the motivation behind what they do? Is it to glorify Christ or to glorify self? Is it for self-recognition? Paul says these things are not to be named among you. As we keep on, the next one. In some Bibles they use this word. Some of it is just covetousness, but greed. And the Greek word uh, pleonexia means to defraud. It means to covet. It's a fantasy. It's elusive. It's deceitfulness. It's something that we strive after when we strive after fleshly things, the things of the world. It's elusive. You never can obtain it. 
You, you ask somebody, I was trying to remember, I think it was Rockefeller that I quoted earlier on in, in one of the few times that I, I preached way, well, it seems like way back. It's probably not that far, but not many people knew who Rockefeller was, but he was a billionaire of his time. And, and, and they asked him, you know, basically, when would you, have, when would you be satisfied? When would you have enough? He said, when I have just a little bit more. You see, the things of this world cannot satisfy you. Only the things of Christ can fulfill you. And then you become content. And you become, it's like you become satisfied because you, you've received the biggest reward you could ever receive. You receive what you don't deserve. It, you receive what you cannot earn. The kingdom of God. To be an heir of, of God. To be a son of God. To be a co-heir with Christ. You think about the perfect one that came and walked upon the earth, that you are a co-heir with Jesus Christ. When I think about my life and I look back on my sinful ways and the things that I was caught up in, I cannot fathom that. Oh, what grace. Oh, what forgiveness. And the parable that Pastor Ben gave us last week about, you know, the, 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 um, the one that, that forgave, trying to remember exactly there, he forgave somebody that owed him money, and then he turned around and wouldn't do the same. That's us. A lot of times we seek forgiveness from God, but then we turn around and somebody that owes us something, maybe owes us a favor, think they're going to do something, we won't forgive them. And if we're that mental, if we have that kind of heart, then we're not in Christ. Because it says in John, 1 John 4 that God is love. And it says, remember Christ says, the second greatest commandment of them all, the first one was to love thy God with all your heart, your soul, your strength, your might. The second one is to love thy neighbor as thyself. That's hard. Because we all know we love ourselves. We may not think we do, but deep down somewhere, there, there's, we love ourselves. But when Jesus resides in you, when the Holy Spirit resides in you, you're a changed person. You know, I, I read this. I'm not going to take credit for it, but I don't remember the comment that the guy, the, the pastor that, that said this, but I read one time, he, he made this statement. He says, here's a good way of looking at it. He says, what do you think of when you're not thinking of anything at all? What comes to your mind when you're disengaged from your work and you're not focused on doing whatever it is you do in your leisure time when your mind wanders? What does it wander to? Does it wander to the things of God? Or does it wander to the things of the flesh that are so attractive to us? You see, sin doesn't come ugly, and it comes with a bow on it. It looks inviting. It looks good to us. Man, it's tempting. And how do we know what's right and what's wrong? Well, you know, it's as a person described to me one time, how do you know if something's counterfeit? You compare it to the real thing. And Jesus Christ is the real thing. In fact, he is the only thing. You see, if you love your neighbor, you won't covet after his possessions. If you love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you won't covet what God has blessed others with. You know, we, we, we're very prone to see others with things, and we see them and we say, well, look at that person, look how bad they are. But yet he has all these things. Well, those things are temporary, for one thing. They're here today and gone tomorrow. The things of God are eternal. 
It says, then he goes on, let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. Um, coarse jesting is, is mentioned here, or crude joking. And it means to be versatile. It means to turn from one to another. Foolish talk, the Greek word for it is, and I, I know I can't pronounce this word, Pastor Ben could, but it's, it's morologia, or I'm, I'm probably saying it wrong, I'm butchering it, I'm sure. But it's the Greek word, it means to prefix, the first part of that word, M-O-R-O, it's easy to remember because it means moron. We're familiar with that. And of course, uh, logos means word. And so it's easy to remember, but it's one who talks like a fool. It refers to a person who makes light of the things of God. How many of us, and I'm guilty, I'll stand here and say, Lord, forgive me, that's been around and laughed at a joke. You say, well, I didn't say it. I just was, well, you laughed. You enjoyed its humor. How holy do you think God really is? You know, we're almost trying to put him on our level. Look, I'm not holding on to him. He's holding on to me. Coarse joking. It means vulgar humor, which is the lowest form of wit. Um, this, uh, again, I, I want to say, mm, might have been Wearsby that said this, but he says, it's also possible for certain speakers to move very easily into the mire of unbecoming expressions. They seem to have a garbage can type of mind. And every serious topic of conversation reminds them of an off-color jest or antidote. Their minds naturally go to that. And you've been around people, man, I got a joke for you. Listen to this. And, it, and it's always debased. It's always something that's, that's not Christ-like. And as a Christian, you're standing there, you know, what do you do? How do you respond? I always tell my kids, again, I refer back because I teach and it's probably more of a teaching type style here than what you hear from Pastor Ben as he eloquently, as he, he preaches, Lord bless him, God has gifted him. And I tell them, how do you know? Well, when you're around people, I say, well, who's leading who? If you're surrounded with people that are doing those things and are doing these, saying these things that are debasing the things of God, are you having a positive influence on them or are they influencing you? Because if they're influencing you, you need to depart and find new friends. But if you're having a influ an influence on them, then that's what God wants you to do. Then you're to stay, you're to evangelize. Remember, you cannot make them do anything. You can only give the gospel. The Holy Spirit will change their hearts. And when their hearts are quickened to new life, their minds are, are changed, and then they start thinking of things that are holy. And then we, 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 we want to be sanctified by the Holy Spirit. We want to be, what that means, sanctification, is to be more like Christ every day. Is that what you think of when you get up every morning, that you want to be more like Christ today than you were yesterday? And then if it is, then how do you go about doing that? Do you spend more time watching television? Do you spend more time in the yard reading an old, just a novel? Or do you spend more time reading His Word and in prayer and meditation? Where, if you want to know what somebody strongly believes in, and you want to know where their heart is, look what they do. It goes back to what we started with. Remember? It's, it's, it's those three things that Paul talks about. I said, it's what we are, it's how we think, and the way we act. You see, what we are, if we're heathen, then we're going to think that way, and then we're going to act that way. 
But Paul's saying if you're in Christ, you're a saint. That's who you are. You're a saint in Christ. And then how do you think? You think holy things. You think of righteous things. You think of ways to glorify your God. And then you act that way. And how do we act that way? In love. We love our neighbors as we love ourselves. As a matter of fact, we're to love them more. Think of the love Jesus had to have for you and I to do what he did upon the cross. To willingly, as Isaiah 53 talks about, one of my favorite chapters in the whole Word of God, is, and I'll read that in a minute, to, as he was led to the slaughter, to, to, the, to, to be slaughtered. He didn't utter a word. He was obedient even though he knew he was going to be crucified. And by the way, crucifixion was the worst form of death that you could undergo. It was a drawn-out thing. It wasn't something meant for you to be killed quickly and put out of your misery. It was a drawn-out thing. And you were made a public spectacle. Think of Jesus, God in the flesh, God himself on that cross, and being mocked and being spit upon. He did that for you and I. And so the, the message is here too is when we're out and about and people know, you know, you're a member of Sovereign Grace, but ultimately Sovereign Grace is a member. We're, we're in God's family. We're, we're God's children. Do we act like God's children? Are people able to say that you're a child of God? If you were to go to one of your friends, do they know or would they know that you're a child of God's? Is there any evidence that would point to that? Um, Warren Wearsby said this. He said, Wearsby asked that, that here Paul warned against sins of the tongue, which of course are really sins of the heart. It is not difficult to see the relationship between the sins named in Ephesians 5.3 and those in 5.4. People who have base appetites usually cultivate a base kind of speech and humor, and often people who want to commit sexual sins or have committed them enjoy jesting about them. Two indications of a person's character are what makes him laugh and what makes him weep. The saint of God sees nothing humorous in obscene language or jest. Wow. And then another commentator, John Eddy, said, the idea that the person turns easily making quick comebacks with clever words, having, for example, double meaning. You ever been around somebody like that? They're so quick, you say something, and they always have a quick comeback, and it's always, it goes to a debase, it has a debased nature, it's always something that's, that's cutting, or it has a, uh, some kind of, it connotes some form of sinful behavior. This includes facetiousness, coarse wittiness. Um, it refers to the turning of one speech for the purpose of exciting wit or humor that ends in deceptive speech, so formed that the speaker easily contrived to wiggle out of its meaning or engagement, and, and it's, it's studied artifice. It's a polite equivalence. It has a double meaning, which are worse in many cases than open foulness of the tongue. In other words, it's almost it's deceit. It's almost it's done in a way till it's it's, it's what Satan does. He sprinkles in a little bit of truth and then he turns it on you. And there's a double meaning there. And, and there's a counterfeit there in what they're saying. 
And, you've, and, and how do you know what they're saying is truth or is, or is it false? Are you comparing it to the Word of God? What is Paul saying? And out of all this, he, he, he goes and he ends like this in verse 4. He says, you know, he goes, he says, Let there be no filthiness, nor foolish talk, nor crude joking, which are out of place. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. Let there be thanksgiving. This is not a message of, of, of being downtrodden, of being spoken down to, of saying it's not a moral story, do this, don't do that. But Paul is saying we are to be like God, we are to act like Christ, and we're to be thankful. Thankful for what? Man, I'm thankful that by the grace of God he chose me to be a saint. Fizz. For without the Holy Spirit, without him, I'm nothing. But instead, let there be thanksgiving. What does that mean? I, I listed a few things. It means being, having uh, gratitude and being content. Remember, even Paul himself had a point. Remember, we, it refers in the book of Acts to the thorn in his flesh. And he, and he asked God, I think about three times, would he remove that thorn in the flesh? And how did God respond to him? My grace is sufficient for thee. To keep us humble. To keep us content. Those things in your life that you think are negative, if you actually ever, if you really think about it real hard, they're, they're positives. Because all our treasures are in heaven, not of this earth, number one. And that could, could be a way of God keeping you content in Him. You know, I, I, somebody asked me one time, what would I do if I won the lottery and I won $50 million? And I, I said, I don't know. I said, but I, I know this. There's a reason I, 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 I didn't win it or haven't won it or never will. And he said, why, why you say that? I said, because God knows what a fool I would be with it. doesn't mean that all people with money do not do what's right and that are generous because there are many folks that God has blessed, but he blesses them for a reason. He blesses them greatly monetarily or any other way so they turn around and bless others with what they bless them with. And, and there's people out there that God, I'm, we're to be thankful. That's the whole point, we're to be thankful. Thankful. For by grace God resurrected a wretched soul that was dead in sin. That last song just really touched me. And gave life where only the stench and vileness of death existed. You see, before we were changed, before you were given a new heart, we, we, we smelled, we, we had a stench about us. A stench of death. And we're thankful, we're, we're, we're grateful that... that what you feel when God gives you eyes to see with and ears to hear with. I'm so thankful because there's some things, even Kelly and I, we can make it personal. He and I disagreed on something. And, I'll, and it had to do with some doctrinal issues. And, and I prayed and I prayed and I prayed about that thing. Lord, if I'm wrong, open my eyes. I'm thankful for that because even though Kelly and I argued, even though he pointed me in the right direction on many things, it was the Holy Spirit who opened my eyes to it. Being thankful that what you feel when you're pardoned from the death penalty. Can you imagine what somebody feels when they're, they're, they're in some prison here on, and, and they're, they have the death penalty and then they get pardoned at the last second? Can you imagine that? Well, that's, that's just... Think about being pardoned from the death penalty from hell and given life in Christ. It should be what you feel when you read God's Word and understand and come to know 
the work Jesus did upon the cross. It should be what you feel. Thankfulness should be what you have when you receive the gospel, when you hear it. It's what you should feel when your eyes flood with tears after reading Isaiah 53. It's thanksgiving that Christ defeated the darkness. You know, on the cross he said it's finished. And I think what Christ says, what God says, when he says something, it's done. It's finished. There's no more sacrificing to do. There's no works to be done. Christianity, yes, it was a works-related religion. It's a works-related thing, but the thing is, Christ did all the work. He's the one that suffered and died upon the cross. He did what you and I could not do. Yes, it's works-related, but it's not our works. It's thanksgiving that we who are in Christ don't need to worry when we read about hurricanes, when we read about political unrest, when we read about wars, or anything else because God is a sovereign God I, and I'm going to finish with this and it comes from an unlikely person I would think uh, I, I was um, actually as the, the, the students down the hall as they're studying the Civil War this came to me because I had read this quote from this person a while back and as I was studying and preparing for it today it struck me and it just kind of fit in and this is a quote from the General Stonewall Jackson this is what he said. He said, My religious belief teaches me to feel as safe in battle as in bed. God has fixed my time for death. I do not concern myself about that, but to be always ready, no matter when it may overtake me. That is the way all my men should live, and then all would equally be brave. Wow. Wow. Um, I apologize for not giving you your questions as we're normally accustomed to. Uh, oh, they're up there. Thank you. I, I didn't know if you received them or not. Yeah, it says, what is the standard by which you live your life? And I'm going to have Pastor Ben come up and go through this with you. Um, and are you living up to that standard? And how do you prepare yourself for battle against Satan? But I wanted to say one last thing before I, I step down is in your own sinful nature. Because, see, we blame a lot of things on Satan. Now, Satan's a very powerful uh, being. He, he truly exists. He's not a figment of our imagination. But I would say that most of our sin comes from our sin nature. It comes from within us. Because, you see, Satan is not omniscient. Satan is not um, omnipresent. He can't be everywhere all the time. Only God can. And so how do we prepare ourselves to fight against that? As, as, as Pastor Ben has so diligently urged us and, and encouraged us, read his word. Meditate upon his word. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this time. Father, as I stumbled and bumbled through today, Father, I, I know I can leave in peace knowing that it's not of me. That, Father, the words that I could not say are, that I misspoke, that, Father, your Holy Spirit would speak those into the hearts to whom you have prepared. Father, forgive me of my sins and all of the sins committed. Father, for all of us here, as we're saints, as we, we worship you and we give you the glory for all that's done and said. Father, I, I, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I thank you for this group of people who are brought together 
that we look after one another, that we love one another, that we provide for one another, that we have the love of Christ within us. I thank you in the name of Jesus, your son. Amen.